tonight I, I have uh, drawn the straw or strop, swapped the straw <laughs> with, with Monica uh, in our journey into Isaiah. And the uh, chapter we're going to look at tonight is chapter 42, Isaiah 42. I first uh, got on a journey with Isaiah as a teenager. I wasn't born this age. <laughs> but, uh, and Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to read some of it in a moment. Uh, and the chapter inspired me. It encouraged me. It haunted me. It scared me spitless. <laughs> and uh, the... If that's never happened to you, I, I pray you'll have the experience. Just write it up in your diary. In chapter 6, Isaiah encounters God, or God encounters Isaiah. And this is what I read as a, a middle-aged teenager at the age of probably 16. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty, and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two they covered his face, with two their feet, and with two they flew. And they called to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations and thresholds of that place trembled at the voice of him who spoke out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, and I'm wanting to interpret it at this point. The text says, woe is me, for I am ruined. The feeling I always had is, boy, I'm in trouble. I'm in deep doo-doo here. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew uh, to me with a burning coal on his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and with it he said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity has been taken away and your sin forgiven. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. We're heading for chapter 42 now. They will tie together. It might take a couple of hours, but we'll get... The way that uh, Isaiah is structured for us as a major book in biblical literature is it's got 66 uh, chapters, loads of paragraphs. Forget the verses, paragraphs are the bits that matter. Remember, paragraph is a group of sentences about a common subject. <laughs> Some of you may need to know that. Some of it is just too late. <laughs> but... Uh, the paragraphs is where the subject flows. And it breaks into two or three pieces, depending on which school you went to. <laughs> uh, it, it breaks at the 40th chapter into a second 
part, sometimes called first and second Isaiah. Again, that's another deep truth you're learning. <laughs> or it breaks again as it gets to the 60th. It spreads over a period of time in uh, Isaiah's long life. Uh, he lived many years. He was a prophet for 55 years, and he didn't retire. Just the current king had him sawn in half. How's that for a retirement plan? <laughs> the challenge is Isaiah was not just a prophet himself, but he spawned a whole school of prophecy. And they just didn't keep doing what the master had done, but they encountered just like the encounter I read. They were a people that were encountered not just encountering God, but encountered by God and challenged and uh, commissioned me. They just didn't pick up information, but they began to have a formation of God's word in their hearts and in their lives. At this point, I reach for this. Oh. Pakeha magic. <laughs> As we get into chapter 42 onwards in the second part of Isaiah, there is four servant songs, or they've been titled servant songs to, by biblical scholars and uh, prophetic communities down the years. And the reading we're going to do just right now is one that is in the it is the first of the servant songs. I'll give you a clue. The servant is Messiah. He is the one that they said you call his name. Man. The answer is Jesus, right? <laughs> call his name. Jesus. Right. That, that block there doing good. <laughs> These servant songs uh, are sung or prophesied, and they, they're thought to be, uh, when a prophet normally made a speech, they called it an oracle. And it's thought that some of these uh, speeches were not oracles, they were fresh material. Because they weren't just a reiterating and bringing again God's word in the spirit and for the moment, uh, but they are brought and they're placed here uh, as planted trees growing within it. The oracles are found in how young? That's what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> hope, hope. Right, go away. So the first one is in uh, forty-two one to nine. We're going to read that. The second one is in in forty-nine one to seven, and uh, you you can read that. I encourage you to read that. And then this fifty. Four to nine. And then the fourth one is in chapter 52 and 53. And there's a passage that is one of the most common ones where it says, He is wounded for our transgressions, He is bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement to buy us peace was upon Him. 
and by his stripes we were healed. He was taken away from his generation in judgment. It, it opens out there. But let's read the first song. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wicks wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. The, the words, we just heard them go by. Let me read it again. There's a key in them. The key is the word will. The statement, not just the word, but the statement. And the song sung over the servant of God, over the Messiah, over Jesus, who is yet to come when this is made, is I will put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout out or cry or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands or the spreading of humanity will put their hope. Tonight, we're looking at hope in the darkness. We're looking at hope. We're looking at good news. Our heart motto here as a church at BBC has been hope. Hope and not just the idea of hope, but being a place where new hope, fresh hope, new beginnings are initiated and will begin. According to the song, the servant of the Lord is chosen by God and God delights in him. The servant has the spirit of God abiding on him. The first three verses of this passage, in case you found they were a bit familiar, they've been cut and pasted into the New Testament. Verbatim, in Matthew 12, we're speaking about Jesus. And the prophet said this through his community into the people of Israel. They had taken it on board. We've been thinking about exile lately. They'd taken it abroad with them. They'd taken it to Babylon and brought it back and carried it. But when Jesus comes... He comes and he picks it up and he talks about himself. And he just doesn't talk about himself. He's seeking to communicate, to impart a, a sense of you can respond to this one because he's trustworthy. 
He will not lead you astray. He will not finish off the little bit of faith you got. Yeah? He, he will not cut you off. He will be there. And he will do it in the presence of the Spirit. And the presence of God will come closer and closer to you. That was the song, the first song of the servant. But the key word or the key thought is he will and he will not. He will and he will not. Let's say that together. He will and he will not. Let's say it again. He will and he will not. Said that to say some of this. Hope in the darkness, good news to broken people. We're reading the Bible. Often the term used is biblical text. It's in the book. Yes. Every biblical text, it sits in a part of a, three worlds we'll talk about. At least I'll talk about it. <laughs> Please listen. And in those three worlds, the first one is the world behind the text. And that doesn't mean we kind of, what's at the back of this thing? What's behind it? But things just don't happen in geography. They happen in world and social uh, life. They, they happen in political life. They, and they just don't happen. The meaning doesn't come. There's a behind the text. The key to what's in the world behind the text is God. God himself. God as Trinity. God as unity. God is the one who says he will and he will not. He will and he will not. Take a little bit of time as we go through. There's the world behind the text. We'll ask ourselves about that. Then there's the world within the text. What's going on in this Bible account? What's the story? Who's speaking to who? What is God promising? What is he saying? Uh, what is he warning us against? What is he calling us to? Why did Jesus stop on the way to help somebody else and then had to raise him from the dead when he got around to it? Why? What, what is God doing and what is he doing within the text but then there's another world and that's the world in front of the text the world in front of the text is the one that you and I live in so each scripture passage has that ability for us to it sits in but it also straddles it goes across the world be Behind the text, the world, within the text, and the world beyond the text. Uh, encourage you to, uh, some time when you're reading the Bible, tomorrow morning maybe. I used to belong when I was a teenager to a group called No Bible, No Breakfast Club. 
And the slogan was, please don't feed unless I read. <laughs> Biblically grounded hope. What is it behind? What is it within? What is it in front of? Biblically grounded, and we're saying grounded, established, root, planted. Biblically grounded hope is the expectation of good things in the future in the Christian setting, faith regarding the matters that are yet to be. When I was an apprentice pastor last century, <laughs> my wife worked out a name for me. I, I was assistant to a very experienced pastor, and the, the food chain of pastors was senior pastors, pastors, associate pastors, assistant pastors, and assistants to <laughs> the pastor. <clears throat> and uh, Dorothy gave me a nickname called the Sorcerer's Apprentice. <laughs> but that's another $50 for that story. <laughs> the... Uh, The challenge was people actually thought I knew what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, because uh, there's a feeling if you got ordained, you got the gift of omniscience by the laying on of hands. Omniscience is just a big word. It means you know. <laughs> and I had this uh, little lady come up, she, uh, uh, English lady, and she was a short lady, and she came up to me after service one, one evening and she said to me, Pastor, <laughs> Pastor, what is this word hope in the Bible? What's the word hope? Is it a mistranslation? <laughs> and being so wise, I said, yes, keep talking. <laughs> Here's a mistranslation because she said, before I become a Christian, she said, I used to hope for this and hope for that. Nothing happened. <laughs> so, Hope was a bad word because my whole life was disappointed as far as hope came until we came to Jesus. And in their late 60s, in those days, people in their late 60s looked much later. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she tells, is it a mistranslation? And having the gift of nescience, I said, I'm sure it has significant meaning. I should get back to you and we should talk about that, which meant I could rush home and find out. <laughs> So I went rush home. So that, that's one of the first things I found out is up there, uh, that it's an expectation of the future. And, and it's not just a world, I hope, in the natural. It's not just a wish with another name. It's matters that are yet to be. A theology of hope emphasizes the future dimension of God rather than the past. And uh, there's been a growth in the last 25 years of uh, biblical scholarship and thinking uh, uh, in this particular area of saying is hope is not just a present or a hope built in the past, but it, it's, it's a vehicle that the God of hope and the presence of his spirit will take us into something more than it's. But here's the one I wrote after all my research for the little lady. 
It's a current expectation based on the future certainty. The God who is calls us into what is yet to be. And yet I got that because my parents were great investors in racehorses. <laughs> they didn't win anything, <laughs> but they used to get free seats to the member stand. <laughs> and uh, my mother would come home. My mother was a posh Aussie. And that's true. I said, Dad, how do you know that? I said, it's easy. Yeah. She told me. <laughs> and, uh, but they used to go and my mum would come and say over dinner, uh, my, my horse ran down a rabbit hole. And this comment, horse ran down a rabbit hole. And I, because I'm a kid, I'm about eight, nine when I'm here in this, and I'm thinking, where are they running these horses? <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't met a metaphor at that stage. <laughs> and so with this background of you know, uh, being very quiet when a race was being called on the radio, uh, we, we, in those days we used to sit and watch the radio in the corner. <laughs> not, not because uh, it could get stolen, though we were living in West Auckland for a while, <laughs> but it was before it was West Auckland. It was, and uh, this whole thought about, but they talk about what they put down and how they bet and how the whole thing came together. And uh, I'm working on this thing about, I'm not off the track, this is just a, just a track. And I'm thinking, you know, they, they bet money, they put it down and they picked a horse. And then they had this hope, which was often disappointed. But I thought, you know, I think biblical hope is like betting on the horses. Yeah. What you do is you bet on every horse. <laughs> every which way you bet, they cover the whole lot. And then you can say, I'm hoping to win. <laughs> You've got to drop dead before the pay window to not win. <laughs> and Christian hope is betting on all the horses. <laughs> when we think about hope and our expectations, and our, our following of someone that said, he will not crush us. He will not smoke us out. His word will be true. And he'll not just say the truth, but he himself is the truth. It's defined, and I think it's defined in the world behind the text. It's not defined by our experience. It's defined by the isness of God himself. The Bible tells us those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God is. We'll come back to that. But when we think about it in the text, we see hope being developed, being developed in the stories of, of people's lives. In the book of Hebrews, uh, in the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th chapter, it gives us the stories about people who had hope, 
and what they, they went through in hope and how that they saw God come through. And then it says, but there were some who had hope and they died. They died with assistance. <laughs> yeah, they, they were killed by the state. They were killed by the local lions. No, I don't mean the club. <laughs> they, they, they faced all those challenges. And it worked out in their lives that they have a life within the text. Biblical characters have a, a life within the text where their hope grows and is born and reborn. But in the front of the text, it's delivered. God shows up. God is always on time. I have a, a, a friend in the US, and he had a favorite saying. In fact, he was a senior pastor of a church I worked with. We had three morning services. He preached the same sermon three times, so we got to know what he was saying. <laughs> and he used to constantly say, and every time I heard it, I liked it. And he would constantly say, God is never late. He does miss a lot of chances to be early, but he's never late. God is never late. He does miss a lot of chances, opportunities to be early, but he is never late. He delivers on time as we look at that. Oh, that's not the time of the day, is it? <laughs> Sorry, we did, but... Hope is incarnated before it's inculcated. There's a new word for us. Amen. And where did I learn this word? In the fourth form. <laughs> it's just taking the rest of the time to sink in. <laughs> so incarnated, inculcated. Incarnated simply means it works out in humanity. The greatest incarnation is God in Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory. The glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Incarnated. But this inculcated statement suggests this. I think it's trying to say it, but it suggests this. is Hope is incarnated. It is a reality before it is inculcated, before it is experienced. Hope is real in Jesus Christ, real in the living God, real in the people of God before it is built into my experience and built in. Uh, this inculcated, you might need the word sometimes to win in a quiz show. <laughs> but it's something that's firmly in somebody's mind through frequent forceful repetition. Frequent forceful repetition firmly uh, within our mind. I was visiting a, a church, in fact, it was a church I belonged to. <laughs> I was there on that Sunday. And uh, the, the pastor, <coughs> uh, the, the good Dr. Bruce Patrick in Auckland Tabernacle, he'd been a science teacher before he'd gone into the ministry. And uh, he was preaching away passionately. Uh, in the in the old Auckland Tabernacle, Spirit of Spurgeon was there somewhere. So he was fired up and put it out. And uh, 
as he did, he got to the edge of the, the platform and he said, you know, when I used to teach high school science, I would work and try to work and get things through. He said, but I just didn't seem to be able to get it through. So I used to spend a lot of time on trying to get across Archimedes' principle. But I don't know if it ever got through. I don't know if anybody ever remember it. Is there anybody here that remembers it? <laughs> so I leap up and I say, when a body is partly wholly immersed in the liquid, its apparent loss of weight is equal to the weight of water it displaces. Ooh, come on. Ooh. So where did you learn that from? I said, third form science detention. Because <laughs> they inculcated it <laughs> into me. They fixed it firmly in my mind. And one of the reasons why we gather as Christians is to get inculcated, <laughs> to hear God's word and not to become blasé, but to hear God's word behind the text, within the text, and in front of the text coming into our lives. Yeah. Remember learning English grammar? You know, it's, What's a sentence? A sentence must have who and what does it do? Yeah, I can remember uh, writing two pages that was almost one sentence, but I forgot to put a full stop at the end. Teacher called me up and said, Johnny, what's this? And I said, uh, it's an essay. <laughs> I said, but uh, you know, where, where, where is the punctuation? Where is the point? And I just said, I was on a, it was, I was on a flow. I didn't want to ruin it. with <laughs> Yeah. Folks, hope is incarnated before it's inculcated. See, when life fixes a fix to fix you, and you fix the fix before the fix fixes you, life will fix another fix to fix you. So... Don't fix the fix. Let the fix fix you. That's inculcated. That's something that we can be refreshed in. Okay, just charging along. Oh, yeah, it's still working. Remember the world, this says the world be behind the text, world within the text, the world in front of the text. The next paragraph, which is appearing, is where what we were talking about before uh, is where it's established, it exists, uh, it's defined. It's also the principle set behind the text. And in this particular, the promises of that God wants to work, works out within the text. Our lives are not just our experience. Friends, your experience doesn't make truth. Truth makes your experience. Yeah. Truth exists apart from us. We've met people, if you haven't met one of these, uh, you will or you are one of them. <laughs> and that is the mindset that says 
show me God and I'll believe he exists. But if you can't show me God, there's no God. Well, God is not going to make himself out of nothing, out of nowhere. <laughs> to me, that God is. Those who come to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder, the encounter of those who seek with diligence. Promised and proclaimed, lived out, declared, spoken. Our, our life, the Bible says, our life is to be a written book. The word was epistles in the original text, but that are known and read of all humanity, that we are an open book. The next paragraph we will read, but we promise not to dig into it. This is homework. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. The Lord have called, the, I the Lord have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that's my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place. And new things, I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. The world behind the text is principled and it is defined. The world within the text is promised and it's developed. The world in front of the text is where the proclaimed is delivered. It comes to us. Hope, yes, hope that is carried has an inherent capacity to carry the carrier. Hope that is carried, carried in our hearts, has an inherent capacity to carry the carrier, to carry you, hallelujah, to carry us, the Lord is, is there uh, with us to lead us and to enable that to take place. I'm walking down here for good reason. I'm trying to get a focus. <laughs> but keep looking at the text. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. As it is, there is not much chance of that. You know for yourself that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what 
to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder, what Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake. These are the words incidentally written by Paul, but in the company of two close fellow servants, Timothy and Titus, as they write to the Corinthians uh, in, in the second letter. Yes, our lives are in constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. While we're going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. Thank you for your time.